0: I I want to see a safe food future for us all and community gardens are a really big way that we can, can at least give some local food security to people.
1: Welcome to Nourishing Matters to Chew On. I'm Anthea Fawcett. Join me on a journey across our food and agricultural landscapes as I speak with inspiring people who are tackling parts of the wicked puzzle to enable change toward a healthier, more sustainable, fair and resilient food system and environment. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. With fresh food prices at incredible highs, the some 50% plus of Australians who already grow some of their own food at home, on their verge or in community gardens are being joined by more and more people. Community Gardens Australia lists over 700 known community gardens on their website, and increasingly the many social, emotional, health, and economic benefits that flow from them are being better recognized. Joining me are Naomi Lacey and Gavin Hardy, who are each leading volunteers and doers with Community Gardens Australia. Naomi is the president of the national organization and Gavin is the coordinator of the Queensland Branch of Community Gardens Australia. And they are both about to set off on Winston Churchill Fellowships to undertake really exciting research to further grow the movement for community gardens, community forests and orchards. Welcome, Naomi and Gavin. It is so great to catch up with you.
0: Lovely to be here, Anthea. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Thanks,
1: Anthea. And Gavin, you're joining us from Perth, and Naomi, you're in Darwin. We've got the uh, climate zones covered. Urban agriculture, care, farming and gardening is a hot and growing topic and get to activity. more local and state governments are tuning in to Naomi, we spoke about this time last year uh, for Urban Agriculture Month and we also spoke about the incredible National Pandemic Gardening Survey 2020 that you were very involved in that highlighted the incredible surge in food growing during COVID. And Gavin, you live and work in southeast Queensland where so many community and other gardeners have been really heavily hit by severe weather, floods, bushfires and more for, you know. years now. Before we dig into your very exciting and COVID-delayed study tours and what they're all about, I'd be really fascinated to hear about your reflections on the past year and what it's meant for community gardens and how you see or feel they and the people who, um, you know, are involved with them are are travelling. Naomi, what have you seen change or emerge within the movement and how has it changed or grown over the past 12 to 18 months?
0: One thing that I've noticed a lot, Anthea, is that a, a lot of community gardens seem to be knowing who we are as an organisation a lot more. So we've had an increase in gardens requiring advocacy support. Um, we get had some issues with local councils, with um, council policy that's not uh, always the most conducive towards encouraging community gardening activities. I think overall there's definitely been... Probably not a noticeable increase from, from our perspective where we sit, but certainly an ongoing interest post-pandemic. I mean, we're not quite post it yet, but we, we're nearly there. Um, and people retaining their interest in being involved in uh, community, gardenings, uh, community gardens and in their gardening activities at home. With growing edible food so that's been really interesting
1: yeah that, that it's been continued like it's seeded covid really yeah mm,
0: mm. yeah like people seem to be continuing on with those activities not you know oh the coffee shops are open now we'll forget about the community garden and go back to doing what we were doing before there seems to be more of a continuation of people wanting to to remain in those activities that they've taken up during the pandemic
1: that's so interesting so it's sort of possibly it speaks to you know the actual food benefits but also just all that conviviality of connection I just think that is huge.
0: I think that's huge yeah the real community connection which is what everybody missed so much during the pandemic and those little bits where they were able to go out and enjoy that connectedness with others um, particularly as restrictions started to ease I think that's really you know it's really hit home for a lot of people and they're like hang on a minute this is this is the type of life that I want to live I want to be connected to other people and I I want to share um, with others and not just remain at home within my four walls. So yeah, that's really lovely to see, really lovely to see. And you know,
1: that's really powerful. And Naomi, you've already touched on it a bit about uh, local councils sometimes having policies that aren't so super helpful, but with your national lens on, if you like, what are some of the big developments underway in terms of government action policies and other um other support to community gardens and perhaps more broadly urban agriculture.
0: Look, from, from where I sit, um, it's probably that we're getting more and more councils getting in touch with us um, for advice um, for recommended policy, which is something that we're working on at the moment. Is putting together what what we feel is um, really great community gardens policy for local government, um, so that we can hand that out to them and say, hey, look, this is what we think is the gold star. Standard, um, you know, if you can come up with something along the lines of this, will will really support that. Um, so that's been really interesting with local government wanting to get more involved. Probably from a from a state and a national level, we haven't really seen any movement. Um, I have high hopes for this new government that there will be a lot of change. Um, it was very interesting in um, Victoria with their last elections. There was a big announcement of of a, a big bucket of money that would be available for a whole range of community um, initiatives, but a a lot of it was focused around providing edible gardening space. And there was vague mention of it being, you know, school gardens, community gardens, um, new social enterprise around food growing. So we haven't seen what that's going to look like yet. There's been no big announcements on where you can get your hands on this money, but we're certainly keeping our um, ear to the ground to, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what comes of that.
1: That absolutely lines up with the recent policy resource and document that was launched by Vic Health, which of course is led by Sandra DeMeo, who was head of Eat Lancet for Food in the Anthropocene. So lovely to see these things really starting to rev up and land here. And that document, uh, listeners, is is a great one to check out because it's got 10 leverage points, which are all things that would be very familiar to Naomi and Gavin, but really good reading if you're in this uh, space. Um, And that document is called um, Towards a Healthy, Regenerative and Equity food system in Victoria a consensus statement it was agreed in December last year and it was just recently launched and it has these 10 cracker leverage points which you know do allude to many of the things you've just spoken about Naomi um, any other highlights for you personally as president in the year that's just been
0: we've had a lot going on um, it's it's been a more sort of the behind the scenes you know um, <laughs> yeah. structural sort of stuff so Probably not much that you're, your uh, listeners are terribly interested in there, Anthea, but it's been exciting for us as an organisation just getting proper process and, and structures in place that will support the organisation going forward, which has been a big focus of our activities for the last couple of years. And certainly what um, a big focus of my uh, Churchill Fellowship is going to be around is... Um, getting more knowledge to be able to support the organisation into the future. So, yeah, that's probably what i meant to say to that.
1: As an interested community member who's always looking at what you're doing, I just have to congratulate you on your fantastic new website. It really is clean, crisp, and there's so much there and it's so easy to access. I just love it. So congratulations, yeah.
0: I will make one mention. We have had an increase in the number of volunteers that we have. So we have um, Gavin, as you mentioned, is our State Coordinator for Queensland. And uh, he has a, a group of regional reps that he works with um, in various areas around Southeast Queensland. And with that network is growing. We've, we've had a number of new people come on board over in the Southwest, over in Perth and Tassie as well. So that's been very exciting. Um, and in South Australia, I should say too. Oh, and in the Northern Territory. So it's been a, the network's been growing, which is really good because that's where we really get our information from and we're able to feed the, information that we know of back through down to the community gardens as well so that's been an exciting development yeah
1: and it's a resurgence of of the organization which you know you've been going since 96 to keep the energy up and to not remake but to refresh and stay relevant is um, something I think Naomi you've been just championing and delivering in really exciting ways. So yeah, great stuff. Gavin, it, hello, it, you know, just building on what Naomi's just um, shared with us. What, what are some of your thoughts on on change, challenges, horizons, you know, through the lens of the last year? Um, I think, I think you're a member, very key person with North East Street City Farm, aren't you? They've gone through quite a bit.
2: Yeah, they have gone through quite a bit. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll talk specifically about North East Street in a bit, but um, uh, last 18 months, I work on the ground. I work on the operational level of community gardens and coordinating and networking. And what I see a lot of is uh, perhaps growing pains. Um, massive interest in community gardening. People wanting to get involved. People contacting us either through uh, email or other means, wanting to find out information about how to how to start a community garden. And we've got lots of really great information on our website. And then our regional reps. Um, who we have in Southeast Queensland um, are out there helping people, giving advice and helping them to set up. But there's so much going on that it's it's actually quite um, a challenge for us as a volunteer organisation to, to to manage that. And then the other, I guess, the other side of the growing pains equation is uh, how local government is grappling uh, with this newly emerging thing called community gardens and perhaps using the same uh, lens as they might they might use or same framework as, as they might use to start up, say, a sporting facility, not, not quite knowing the nuances and subtleties about uh, growing food in community space. And as Naomi alluded to uh, before, uh, we have had some discussions with councils and letter writing and what have you to perhaps correct or advise on a better way of going about their their policy and strategy work and how they actually operationalise um, community gardens. Yeah, so I see there's, there's a lot of really great interest, some really amazing projects out there, a lot of diverse and different projects that are happening as well. And, and we're in a really exciting space, and exciting time, I think, um, uh, trying to help both community groups but also government to um, come together and and really get community gardens happening
1: for local governments, it's about understanding these as essential infrastructure. You know, their structures, their 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 places, their assets in that sort of property sense, but also to have the program the programs that enable and empower and provide continuity and change of personnel who are volunteers, so that consistency and continuity you know goes side goes hand in hand with the with the place being maintained, you know, that the culture and the, the people involved might change over time and have you know presumably will. So yeah, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, mm. We've got a lot of work to do on that front yeah. with uh, liaising with with local government because it it's been very interesting. I've got a, some interesting stuff happening at the moment. I won't name the the council. You know, they've got this fabulous sustainability plan. They have an absolutely brilliant community plan. There's so much mention in their community plan about the issues that they've got with um, food insecurity and ill health due to poor consumption of fruit and vegetables.
1: And economic disadvantage.
0: Yeah. And yet you've got, there's a a whole bunch of community gardens that have been trying to get started for over two years Mm. that are getting caught up in red tape. And it's just really interesting that one council can have these are our stated goals. Yet when community groups come to them and say, "Hey, we, this is you let us do the, your thing. This is going to tick all of these boxes for you with regards to your plan and where you want to see your population going in the future," but there's no connect. And um, that's where we've got a hell of a lot of work to do going forward. I think there's a lot of councils that have that same issue. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: And I know I
0: know Community
1: Gardens Australia made a submission to the. New South Wales' inquiry into food supply and production and, and touched on some of those things, as did many other fabulous submissions or people, Belinda Reeve and co, um, about the need for local government food plans and policies. Um, Fitswell also talked about that sort of thing. That That's kind of what it takes is to join. It's like a, you need another plan to join the dots. <laughs> okay, okay. Gavin, you're very involved in permaculture, education and training. You're a qualified engineer, I, I read, and a landscape architect and your business... <laughs> well, what don't you do? Mm-hmm. And your business creates foodscapes and landscape sanctuaries as well as coordinating uh, Community Gardens Australia Queensland as a volunteer. So you've got this really wide-ranging field, fields of expertise and friends, colleagues, contacts, projects. Yeah. Can I ask you sort of like a really helicopter question? What, what, what's the vibe like, you know, in times like these when iceberg lettuce cost $8.50 wherever you might be buying them? Remote communities are pretty familiar with that price, but it's a bit of a shock for the East Coast. What's the vibe in South Southeast Queensland, Northern Rivers, where there, you know, where there are so many innovative local and regional foodies, food system doers, people like Food Connect, Young Farm, sorry, yeah, like Food Connect and Young Farmers Connect at a helicopter level. What's the sort of mood or vibe like? Are people feeling powered up to just forge on even more resiliently or are they feeling quite flummoxed and a bit exhausted?
2: Well, that's a great question. Like, um,
1: just a little one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think there's a bit of both. Um you know uh and maybe I'll, this is a good, great opportunity to talk a little bit about Norby street, so mm. viewers may or may not know norby, norby street city farm is one of the the motherships of community gardening in mm. in australia it's
1: that's a, that's a beautiful expression i love
2: it you know it, it's up you know if we think about the big um city farms and community gardens in this country norby street's um one of them and it's been going for since 1994, so almost 30 years now. Um,
1: Long, longer than Community Gardens Australia.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, you know, it, and it, it runs wonderful programs and does great work in Brisbane, educating people, not only about gardening and permaculture, um, but sustainability in, in general. But, of course, we had the big flood uh, in February this year and Norway Street was, I think the technical word for it is um, smashed. Always sort of smashed, um, and is going through a big process about reviewing what they're what they're doing in that in that particular on that particular site.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, because they might need to move,
2: and there's certainly conversations around that at the moment. Um, well, the second or third time it's happened to them as well, isn't it, Gav? Uh, it, they've had numerous floods. Um, they've had probably ten uh, th- over the thirty years, but not nothing. Nothing to the um, extent of the February flood, um, which came in 200 millimetres below the um, the office floor and the office is three and a half metres up in the sky. Um, people like uh, Nor- the people at Norby Street City Farm, the people at Jim Boomba uh, Community Garden, they feel, they're feeling a bit uh, stressed and a bit, I think you said Anthea, flummoxed, um, that, that would be a good a good word and a bit tired and worn out um, from all of the work post flood recovery, and then thinking about, well, what's our future going to be like? What's my job at at Norby Street going to look like? Um, You know, people have livelihoods at that place. At one level, there's, you know, a a little bit of burnout, I I think, you know, in these disaster-prone, disaster-hit areas. But I also know, you know, permaculture takes a really positive positive look at change, Um, and people are involved in this movement. I think at another level, are going well. Here's some opportunity here to to now make some step changes to how we operate and what we do in the area. And and you know, it's a great opportunity to talk about the unsustainability of our food system. This is a really great opportunity to be talking about that. And I think those conversations are, are also happening uh, as well. So yeah, it, it's 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 push and pull in a way, you know, there's, there's that burnout, but then there's the great leap, you know, the great leap forward um, as well.
1: Yeah. Like for, for people who've known about or been a part of retro suburbia or transition towns, you know, around for 20 or 30 years, it's like the moment has come. Like the it's not just about incremental, clean it up. It is step change stuff now, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. David, David Hongren um, talks about uh, waves of environmentalism that, that permeate through society and, uh, I think he's talked about you know this is probably in the past there's been three there's been three waves in australia and 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 this and this is probably the fourth wave of experiencing you know the first wave was the energy crisis in the 1970s um, and and on it's gone. so during crisis there's opportunity um and if, and if we look at that in a positive sense then then maybe great things can can happen from that.
1: And has the Brisbane city Council or Queensland state government sort of stepped in? Um, perhaps just focusing on norley street farm have, have has there been a recognition by government that this has really hit this really important
2: project and
1: are they are they helping
2: uh, not not specifically to norley street but i do know that the um the, the lord mayor of the brisbane city council did offer uh, grants of up to five thousand dollars to help community organizations that had been hit by floods um that money fairly readily available so that's about that that is a good outcome um
1: yeah. you know market gardeners big growers are just feeling pretty pretty exhausted and overwhelmed yeah okay community garden i just just do want to sort of just capture what the organization's about yeah. so sorry if i uh, uh repeat a bit here um commodity community community gardens australia kicked off in 1996 it's member-based voluntary a voluntary organization and does and and does great work to to network and con- connect community gardeners around Australia and it provides incredible resources and they're all available free on the organisation's website, which is, as I've said, is new and it's pretty fabulous. So much of our urban agriculture movement, which of course is just proliferating and growing in all directions at the moment, in many ways stands on the shoulders of of Community Gardens Australia And, and the pioneering work of people like Russ Grayson and Fiona Campbell and the work they have done over decades to develop policies, resources, toolkits, that make make it impossible for local governments to say we don't understand how to do this because it's all there on your website. Um, so I just sort of want to do a bit of a call out and to celebrate those amazing people. Um, and, and you're constant and you're constantly working on new 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 programs and policies. I know that. Um I just came across, and it's been there for a while, I can see is the wonderful, for example, the wonderful guide, the urban footpath farming guide, which you know, again is breaking down barriers around um verge gardening, which is pretty incredible. You've sort of touched on what you know what you love about it and some of the challenges already, but can I just specifically ask each of you personally what you personally really love about Community Gardens Australia? Um its culture and community.
0: Oh I think it's people like Russ and Fiona, as you, you just said, Anthea. Um, being able to connect with people that have been working in this space for a very long time and are very passionate about it um, has always been a real joy for me. And Just being being involved with like-minded people, you know, that's how Gavin and I met and uh, we, we love to have a, a good catch-up and and chinwag on the phone and, and check in with each other from time to time and have just met this amazing community of people through it that... Um, as I said, are like-minded, have similar values and, and ideals to myself. So, you know, personally, that's that's one of the, the great joys that I have of being a part of the organisation. Um, but then also seeing, it, it became very clear to me in the first couple of years that I was involved with the committee that was, you know, in one of those sort of lull phases in the organisation where not much was happening and, and I could just see how much of a need there was out there for, a strong organization to be there to support and advocate for gardens um, because it was such a growing movement. It's it's done nothing other than grow since this organization started in 1996. I think the first directory that was put out had 50 garden listings in. You know, now we have an online directory. Um, that was back in the days of print too, which I still find amusing that um, we've gone so far so quickly. But you know now we have 750 odd gardens on our directory and that's growing all the time. Just knowing that there is a real need there to have a strong organization to support um, is also one of the, the big reasons why I love being
2: involved.
1: Gav, anything that you personally love about the organization?
2: Look, I, I love being able to go down to my local park and pick a cherry. I love that. I, I, love, I, I just get so, it's such a joyous thing just to be able to walk into a public space and eat some food for free. That that might have the um, the nod from the people who run the garden, of course. That is an issue sometimes. <laughs> um, but to be able to to walk into public space uh, with your friends and share that experience, oh, it's just so joyful. And d- despite our um, claims to being a um, free and open society we don't get to do that very much now often our food experiences are they're mediated through through the system through you know supermarkets and with the way we procure and buy food and even growing food in your own backyard yeah that's amazing that's great but to be able to go into public space and and to be able to do that to, for, for me, it really um, it's visceral. The experience is more than just the taste of the food and the actual It's the whole experience. is um, It's for me. It's lo- it's uh, it's life affirming. It Real. It, it just. I, I, I think I'm I'm going to live another five years longer than I I probably should because I've been involved in community gardens. You know that's that's how <laughs> that that's how positive i think it is for my life.
1: Oh that's beautiful. And and what and what you're speaking to there is, that, is just that lovely value of third spaces if you're talking urban planning speak or you know community development speak whatever you know places where people can be outside of their home and outside of a mediated commercial space which Yeah yeah. Uh, I think COVID, I think COVID has highlighted the value and the importance of that. Yeah well, well this in so many ways yeah.
2: Yeah totally. Well this this comes back to the idea of the commons and Throughout human history, we've had the commons for a very, very long time, up and up until recently. You know, the commons has been really shut down um, and we've all been directed into this sort of capitalist system of procuring food. And, you know, you can argue the, the rights and the wrongs of, of that, but um, now with community gardening, I think we're, we're going back to the commons and, and being able to express ourselves and 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 through through the growing and harvesting and eating of food
1: and and the, and the commons on the street, I know is um is perhaps germane to your your uh, study tour. So that's what a good segue into. Let's let's t- let's talk now about your upcoming Churchill Fellowship study tours and projects that are both so exciting and both delayed by COVID, um, but now I think you're both set to go. For listeners, Churchill fellowships offer people from all walks of life an opportunity to travel overseas for four to eight weeks to explore a topic or issue that they are passionate about. Um, the, the topic for their proposed projects, as the uh, Churchill website says, is limitless as long as uh, participants provide a benefit to Australia and the scholars are willing, to, willing and able to share their findings with the Australian community and I can't give two people more likely to do that (laughs) Gavin let's start with you you're one of the 2020 cohort tell us what your project is all about and
2: where it will take you yeah great Um, so I'm looking at two special types of um, community gardening uh, community orchards and community food forests so when you when, when you we typically think about A community garden, Uh, the most dominant form we find are uh, community allotments where people will rent out a a plot uh, and there may well be shared gardens within that space as well and maybe a few fruit trees or fruiting shrubs as well. Um, I'm looking at these other other systems, far more focused on perennial plants uh, and and tree tree culture, tree food culture. So uh, food forests... Uh, Had been around for a very long time. That the thought of being the the first form of um, agriculture, so going back thousands of years. There's a there's an example of that of a very long lived one in Morocco that they think's been used continuously for 2,000 years. Do you
1: mean by a food forest? Do you mean like a Growing food at different levels within the forest in a slightly concentrated format. Yes, because I know in the permaculture scene and that there's you know a lot about
2: cultivating food forests. Yes, so so I'll, I'll try and give the the short definition. Um, so if you think about a forest and how a forest is structured uh, through different uh, canopy layers, so we have a tree tree canopy, the tallest trees in the forest, then we have the, the smaller trees and the shrubbery, the ground covers. Um, the herbage, the tubers, the tubers, the herbage, the, the tubers, and the vines. That's what we see in in in, in forests. That pattern all around the world, mm-hmm. and and food forestry mimics mimics that pattern using mainly um, edible uh, species to hum- for humans, plus support plants that uh, either help to enrich the soil or provide other. Other services to the um, the whole ecology of that space. So that's what a food forest is, and there's been uh, lots of emerging examples of that throughout the world in the last fifty years, and and then more so in the in the in the public sphere, I guess, emerging in the last twenty years.
1: And urban, with a focus on you know the unique challenges of urban context.
2: I'm looking at urban um, overseas, but I'm but that's mainly because that's what I've found um, to in my research. Um, really, I'm really interested also in uh, uh, food forestry in urban areas, uh, in, in, in rural areas, I should say. But, yeah, that's that sort of projects that that's I've found so far. So that's the food forest. And then there's the orchards. And I think probably people probably have more of an understanding of what an orchard is. So my definition of that is an uh, orderly rows of fruit and or nut trees on pasture, uh, traditionally grazed by animals. Um, the past have been grazed by animals. Second part of your question, where am I going to? So I'm, I'm travelling to uh, uh, North America and Canada. I'll be in uh, Seattle looking at uh, a few a few projects there and then heading across to Vancouver Island, another great project over there. Then flying down to Miami, uh, looking at a food forests in schools program, going up to Washington, D.C. and then Philadelphia, with the Philadelphia, which are Orchard Project, uh, heading across to the UK, going to the Agroforestry Research Trust and doing a course with uh, Martin Crawford for two days, then spending some time with the UK Orchard Project, which is an amazing project. It's um, five to date, uh, 500 community orchards throughout the UK. Um, so I've been spending some time in Bristol and London, uh, then heading, heading across to uh, Holland, going to Rotterdam, visiting a project in Rotterdam, and then finally finishing up in Italy and looking at a very small food forest project called the Picasso Food Forest in in Parma in Italy. So, yeah. That's- wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it's an incredible opportunity that the Churchill Fellowship people have, have given me. Um, and I feel very privileged and humbled uh, to have received it.
1: You're going to... You know, you're going to places that uh, are, are very urbanised, <laughs> and obviously you'll be looking at rural and peri-urban yeah. contexts and applications of the forest as well. I think we chatted, oh gosh, months ago now, yeah. and you said that you had quite deliberately chosen other developed countries comparable to Australia to to really draw out how that how they've embedded them.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Other groups are sometimes quite anxious about food trees growing food on streets, you know, but perhaps old-style thinking around biosecurity issues and certainly around management issues. Are they some of the things you need to dig into?
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, Certainly looking at those sorts of weed management, plant management, biodiversity stuff that's going on. Uh, Also looking at how do they deal with contaminated uh, soils, urban sites, and there's some really interesting work. I'm not actually visiting this bloke, but um, he's in France and he's looking at uh, food forestry and its role in bioremediation. Of, of a blast furnace site in France, so a highly contaminated um, industrial site. He's looking at the problem in Europe is they're running out of spaces to grow food, and the, the places left over are contaminated sites. Um, and so he's looking at uh, perennial food plants.
1: You could you could just run wild up the Hunter Valley, remediating sites.
2: <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. Look, you know, and that's what I think. There's application for all this stuff, and, and I guess that's what the Churchill. Fellowships allow people to do is you know that their the, the key aim is to bring this knowledge back uh, to the country and apply it. And you know the the other great thing about the, the Churchill is you know I you know I just mentioned this guy in France. I'm not visiting him, but I but now I have contact with him, and I haven't even travelled yet. And so I've made, made some incredible contacts already, you know, and I think Naomi has too. Um, people that they are going to visit, and, and, not, and not people that we haven't got time to visit.
1: You're mm, going to create this whole whole community, this whole body of knowledge and networks that will just go on and on and, and proliferate, I'm sure. So that's like, exactly. yeah, that's so, so, you know, with that blue sky aspiring high, mm-hmm. what 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 do you hope or see your project delivering or enabling, you know, and it's, you know, as I say, blue sky aspire high. What do you see it delivering in five to 10 years' time?
2: Yeah, I, I guess ultimately it's about thinking differently about the way we do community gardening in this country. Um we typically have just have one way of rolling it out. It's, you know, allotments, the dominant form run by an incorporated association with a management committee. There's lots of other ways to do it from what I've already discovered. Looking overseas, there's people running charitable institutions that have got philanthropic backing from big foundations and trusts overseas. Um, there's corporate sponsorship coming in. And, you know, and there's you know, there's ethical questions about that and I'll, I'll be drilling into that, that stuff as well there's there's businesses who are who are setting up you know privately owned businesses that are setting up gardens and, and running education courses and doing other, other stuff on public land uh not necessarily uh on, on private land or um leasehold leasehold spaces but they but there's still community gardens mm-hmm. the communities involved in the gardening in the in gardening practice so there's lots of different ways to do this and i, I and i what i want to get out of my Work ultimately is um, a handbook and a and you know on online tools so people can understand that. We'll feed that in. I'd like love, love to be able to feed that into the Community Gardens Australia website. And you know and, and for my own professional work, um, continue to consult um, in this in this space and enable um, a whole lot of different diverse ways of doing this sort of gardening.
1: Foodscapes in the landscape in a context where we need radical. Urban cooling and urban greening and all the rest. It's yeah. very time, very timely, Gavin. Congratulations. It sounds so exciting. Naomi, you've been waiting since 2019, I think, to get overseas for your study. Thank you very much, COVID. But lucky for CGA that you've been here to lead from strength to strength um, since becoming president in 2019. Tell me what what's your project all about and
0: where will it take you? Well, my project is now going to take me to more places than I first thought because I've had three years to... Um, think about it. ...leave a lot of people online and think about it and um, Google Translate sort of gone from strength to strength so I've found more websites, which means more organisations. But anthea no, Anthony, my project is to go and study the community garden networks overseas so um, and to, to learn from them and bring back those findings to strengthen our organisation and help it move forward So I'm I'm visiting multiple, multiple countries, um, particularly in Europe, but I'll give you a brief overview. Um, One of the big organisations that I'd like to learn from is Social Farms and Gardens, which operate in the UK and Northern Ireland. And uh, I've since discovered a few more organisations over that way. So I'll also be visiting Community Gardens Ireland and the Dublin Community Growers. Um, I'm visiting with Pam Warhurst, who I've become actually really good friends with over the last three years since we, I didn't get to go and visit her in the first instance. Um, and Pam started Incredible Edible, which is another sort of community gardening style that operates all around the world now as well. Mm. Um, I'm heading over to Europe and I am meeting multiple organisations there. I'm going to the Netherlands, Germany, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Austria, Italy, (laughs) France and Spain. Anyway, thank God Europe's a small place and it doesn't take too long to get anywhere. How are your language skills going there, Naomi? Got a good translator with you? Oh, yeah, Google Translate's going to be getting a bit of a workout. So, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think we're very lucky being English-speaking because... Most of the people that I'm visiting with, we have pretty good English. So I was just
1: going to say, what's amazing organisations? Some of those I recognise as ones that you brought into the Urban Agriculture Forum last year. Incredible Edible, Social Farms and Gardens, you know, Crisp Life, yeah. amazing organisations. Yeah. Can you give us a bit of a, not exhaustive, but a bit of a feel for the texture of the different types of organisations or structural clever things you're looking to find out?
0: Yeah, there's... Um There's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm really interested in. Um, There's a great organisation called Kokosa in the Czech Republic. Now, they are essentially very similar to Community Gardens Australia, but they are funded. And uh, one of the big things that I'm looking at with my project is different funding models for these organisations. And just to delve into that a little bit, one thing that um, I'm finding really, really um, high on people's agendas here in Australia at the moment is trying to get away from reliance on grant funding. It's just killing some organisations.
1: And it's actually, you know, when you've got runs on the board, you've proven the benefits it's just and you're delivering essential services, it just gets to a point where it's just insulting.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I was just told about another one the other day uh, that they received funding of half a million for two positions for two years for a CEO and a communications and administration person the CEO spends more than 25% of his time reporting back to the funders. Mm. So you've got two years to deliver a project, yet more than 25% of the time, there's no project delivery going on. Mm. And that to me is just insane. So organizations like Kokoza, they're 70% self-funded through their social enterprise. Yeah. And um the tiny bits they've told me in some online meetings is that you know one of their big projects is that they build community gardens for a supermarket chain in the Czech Republic. And they build community gardens next door to the supermarket that in a small aspect of it, it's a little bit of a community farm and some of the produce does go into the store to be sold, but they've also got members of that community garden that are coming and operating it like a normal community farm.
1: And it's this whole, whole new model of profit for purpose. And, you know, um, Glasgow, they're referring to as the green cop. Businesses across the country are looking for yeah. not, you know, I've been to sitting in on various things, not just net zero, but net zero plus nature plus, plus your social, co- you know, like it it's, Beyond beyond grants, beyond charitable structures, yeah. it's to new profit for purpose, social enterprise, whatever structure it is. It's the new normal.
0: Yeah. 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 We just need to look at thing, doing things differently. So I'm very keen to learn about how some of these other organisations are doing. Um, in Hungary, I'm visiting, you, you would never pick this, but I'm going to visit with the Contemporary Architecture Centre.
1: This is very timely. I'm presenting at an uh, architecture thing about... Climate and food soon. Tell me all about
0: that. Somehow or another, these guys have ended up with community gardens in under their space because they're not just looking at architecture, they're looking at the bigger, much bigger picture town planning sort of side of things. So I find that really, really interesting and very much looking forward to going and visiting with them. And they've got a, a community gardens night where they open up all the community gardens across the, the city and um, fill, fill them with lights and all of this sort of thing. So that's going to be pretty amazing to be there for that. Yeah, so some really wonderful organisations doing some really interesting stuff. There's some guys um, down in um, the south of Spain and Andalusia there that have been, um, that work in local government, I'm going to meet with, that have been um, putting out some really fantastic policy um, around gardens. So I'm very keen to see what they've been doing. And then I'm over to the States as well. Um, And just how
1: long are you going for?
0: I'm actually going for 16 weeks now. The fellowship funding is actually really generous and if you're not the sort of person who needs to stay in a very expensive hotel room every night, you can extend the time of your travel out. Um, The Trust has no issues with that. So because I have come into contact with so many people over the last few years... I am going to make the most of the time um, that I've got. Extract value from every travel mile spent, every, you know. Pretty much, yeah. I do have an overnight in Singapore on my way through to London um, so that I didn't have to fly through direct, direct. And yesterday I did a quick Google and, found a community garden network there so i'm now going to be meeting with them as well on my way through which was not part of the original plan at all but got the time and i got a response via email so i'm going to go and have a have a check out and
1: one tropical location to reconnect you back to darwin
0: (laughs) yeah exactly exactly right so although i think it'll be a bit tropical down in new orleans for the um, american community gardening association conference so amazing Really, really amazing opportunity.
1: And Naomi, when we spoke last year, uh, we had Jess Miller with us and she had had successfully advocated for the City of Sydney to sign the Milan Urban Food Policy Pact. I think that's the right term. Yes. Uh, many of the groups you're seeing in cities that have signed up to that pact or is that just an unfair question?
0: That's still on the the research side of things, Anthea, but um, I am passing through Milan and I'm I'm wanting to get in touch with those guys and catch up with them while I'm there. How
1: exciting. So... Do any of you need a porter on your trip? Do any of you need a research assistant, a
0: photographer, a podcaster? You are more than welcome to come along, Anthea. You know I'd love to have you with me. It'd be amazing.
2: <laughs> I'd love to have you with me too, Anthea. But you have to get in the queue. Oh, <laughs> I've been I've been asked this question a few times now.
1: Well, that's just a huge credit to both of you because what you're doing is <laughs> seriously exciting. Okay, Naomi, I'm going to ask you the same question to wrap up that I asked uh, Gavin. Blue sky, aspiring high. What do you hope? or see your project seeding or contributing to, say, five to 10 years on?
0: Look, I really hope to see Community Gardens Australia as being a, um, a, a much larger and more active organisation. Um, I'd like to see full networks um, in every state and territory of um, rep- regional representatives around the country that are, you know, really actively involved in this space with community gardens and, and helping them to, to grow and, and um, be amazing. And, and to be providing really wonderful networking opportunities for all those gardens, because that's something that community gardens actually really love. They love to go and see other community gardens and talk to other community gardens from the three suburbs over and all of that sort of thing. So I'd love to see that. Um, and I'd, I'd love to um, see our organisation in a position where we're able to fund new garden startups as well Mm. um, to to really assist on that front. There's a lot of areas in Australia where there isn't the grant funding available through local governments um, and and other other means to be able to get themselves started. So I'd love to be able to see that. I guess this goes back to Nick Rose's um, call for, you know, an edible gardening fund supported by all levels of government to see something like that happening that we're able to tap into and um, share those resources around. I, I wanna see a safe food future for us all. And community gardens are a really big way that we can, can at least give some local food security to people. Mm. I think the vast majority of the population does not realise how significant and how serious a situation we are in with regards to being able to provide food for our growing population ongoing.
1: And particularly fresh food. Yes. Our horticultural sector, fragile.
0: Yeah, food in bags and packets and things doesn't really count to me. When I say food, I am talking fresh um, produce. If we can just get as many community gardens established over the next 10 years as we possibly can, there's going to be a little bit of hope for people in that when you know our systems do start start crashing around us. But you know, hopefully they don't crash either. Hopefully, if we are doing this and, and everybody else, all these other wonderful organizations, which you know you are well familiar with, Anthea, if we all keep doing what we're doing, we've got a real chance of turning this around. So um, but a lot of policy work to be done as well. Do you see garden? Do you envisage gardens or places where you grow food
1: in the site sa- being the same? in five to 10 years' time? And I suppose I'm thinking about protected agriculture, community orchards, forests.
0: No, I think it's going to change. It needs to change. Um, you know, the days of a grass verge with a, you know, what, what do you have, Adelaide, jacaranda tree on it. I mean, you know, it needs to be lettuces with orange trees in the middle or whatever it might be it needs to be on our verges i'd love to see a community garden in every suburb if not on every corner you know that's going to be really interesting going to new york i'm being taken on a walk around brooklyn where in a two square block radius or something there's a at something like eight community gardens that's pretty impressive <laughs> something that's seriously impressive yeah that, that should be in all our suburbs as well Schools, and kindergartens, and libraries, public libraries, and everywhere—just being food gardens. I think that's where we need to get to.
1: Do you think those food gardens will look different? Do you think there'll be more protected agriculture? Is what I'm quite keen to hear.
2: What do you mean by protected agriculture?
1: Aquaponics, hydroponics, protected—literally in a building or in a greenhouse because of floods and extreme heat.
2: Oh, I think I think that will happen. Um, there'll, there'll be, there will they'll be they'll um, be entrepreneurs who will be uh, looking to do that
1: i'm just wondering whether it's a part of the vision of gardens for the future
2: yeah i'm not necessarily against high-tech agriculture you know um i'm um, open to all forms of sustainable agriculture we've we've proven science behind it you know like we can actually point to the fact that this is having less impact on the environment and than the current system and, in fact, there are some gardens I know of, one on the Gold Coast that's doing aquaponics um, already. So it's, it's happening.
1: I was just thinking, you know, like um, you're going to very different climatic zones. We've just had two years of extreme events. People trying to grow gardens at the moment are finding it really hard to grow food because it's so yep. wet. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of, and, you know, remote communities, as we know, Naomi, you know, extreme heat, the plants need to be protected. That's where I was coming from. That that in a changing climate with more extreme conditions and events mm. how mm. we think traditionally about community gardens or even gardening in our backyard is and may need to change
0: yeah and look I think um you know there's a lot of community gardens out there that are using um types of technologies already uh, you know aquaponics is quite common because it's very cheap to set up and provides provides a lot hydroponics that not not really so much as a gav you know it's uh, but certainly wicking bed technologies, you know, which is your water-saving stuff, which really helps in times of drought and extreme heat and so on.
2: I haven't seen a lot of that. I've seen a
0: little... Wicking beds are just phenomenally becoming popular. Um, and I think, you know, Gab touched on it before, with the contaminated soils in our um, urban spaces, wicking beds are becoming very, very common. So I, I would definitely expect to see more of those technologies around. However, some of that stuff does cost a lot of money. And community gardens as a general rule, are very poor. (laughs) So (laughs) spending lots of money on setting up greenhouses and stuff,
2: you know,
0: uh, gardens that have got a lot of passionate people um, that have got a lot of time to give, uh, you'll definitely see some amazing stuff starting to turn up there. I mean, I saw a fantastic Coke bottle greenhouse that was built down in Launceston in Tassie. Um, you know, <laughs> takes a lot of time, but it does the trick. So, you know, we're also, community gardeners are very resourceful and very, uh, you know, can be very passionate. So I expect to see some upcycling going on. But I think sort of to that extent that you're speaking of, I don't think in the next 10 years yet, I think we've got a little bit of leeway on that front. Mm. And hopefully, you know, Gav's got food orchards and food forests set up around these community gardens that will help protect them as the climate does warm. So we might not need to worry about the greenhouses out
2: there <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and I, and, I, yeah. and I think um,
0: yeah.
2: um, working off what Naomi was saying, you know with the the climate and 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 the economic situation um, deteriorating, um, I think we're going to get more in more involved in uh, understanding different types of food that we can grow. Uh, so you know in Brisbane, why the hell are we trying to grow strawberries you know, when we can grow all this subtropical stuff that's just so easy to grow you know uh, forget about spuds let's grow cassava um, um mm. you know there's yeah i love it when
0: people come and ask me in darwin how why can't they grow carrots I mean, i'm like sorry wrong climate zone i highly recommend eggplant or you
2: know <laughs> yeah, yeah so i think we'll, we'll start diversifying our diets and, and they'll become a lot more um, regional as well. Uh, place specific,
1: place pertinent, and place specific.
2: Yeah, yeah, place specific, and I think we'll also be getting more into um, perennial uh, food crops, uh, tree cropping, and um, uh, nut, particularly nuts. You know, I think my, my vision in fifty years' time is we have bunya nut orchards. You know, the the, the big aracarias that are producing tons of tons of high quality uh, food. You, you know, I just think I, I think the whole. If you see crisis as opportunity and so look at it positively, I can see the whole the whole foodscape diversifying and, and using more bush tucker as well. That's going to be an important part of this equation. I just mentioned bunya nuts. Yeah, it'll start to become far far more regional and far more diverse.
1: Agro biodiversity. cool yeah. <laughs> No, th- th- thanks for that. That's such a great observation. Naomi, um, I was also wanting to ask you as part of your five to 10 year vision and so forth and how you're going to deliver your, your findings from your study. Do you think you'll still be part of the Community Gardens Australia management team five to 10 years on? And where might you be?
0: Um, well, where I'm going to be is Tasmania. Um, my time is done in the tropics wearing singlets and shorts is going to transition to beanies and Ugg boots for me and I can't wait <laughs> <laughs> um, and look at this point in time I really hope that I am still part of the the CDA team yes I, I love what we do um, I love where we're going and I'm very passionate about it and at this point in time I'm more than happy to to stick around whether that's in a you know, eventually transitions into a paid position or if I just remain as a volunteer, I think I'll probably have some sort of involvement with this organisation for many, many years to come. So, yeah. I
1: can imagine Gavin will too. Last question. It's June. From where you're currently sitting, (laughs) what one to two food plants should we be growing now? Oh, out here? Darwin and Perth, that question is
0: for.
2: Darwin and Perth, okay.
0: I, I should be growing some tomatoes. But, um, and I recommend that to other people in Darwin, but I've got one of these um, bacterial things in the bacterial wilt, I think it's called, in my soil. So I need to go out and get some fresh soil to grow them in pots. And since I'm going away, that's not happening. But the bananas are all ripening at the moment. So the pawpaws, uh, and I've got a bucket load of pomelo on my tree. Yeah. The fruit is going well at
1: the moment. Gav, I put you on the spot? I know you're visiting Perth.
2: I'm visiting Perth I'm, and, I'm, and I'm actually not in Perth. I'm, I'm, well, I'm at the southern end of the Perth conurbation in um, Mandurah. Uh, but, um, oh, so you're really testing my knowledge. What should we do?
1: Okay, okay, let's cut to the chase. Let's go home. What should we be growing in Brisbane right now?
2: <laughs> what should we be growing in, in, in Brisbane? So at this time of year, um, I would be growing uh, putting in a crop of silver beet right now. Uh, and I and I'd be getting ready to uh, get my tomatoes in. Mm-hmm. Um, don't grow tomatoes in Brisbane in summer. No, you grow them mm. in late winter. It's when you start them off into spring. Mm-hmm. We're in a different climatic zone. Um, yeah, they're my two.
1: I hope a whole lot of you Brisbaneites and Southeast Queensland people do get growing tomatoes because I'm pretty sick of paying seventeen dollars a kilo for them where I live.
2: <laughs> no, oh, and it's. It, And and now's a very good time to be growing your your iceberg lettuces, because lettuces as well, actually. Um, Very topical. Get get them in now, guys. yeah
1: Uh, Gavin and Naomi, thanks so much for speaking with me and all power to you. And I hope your trips are just absolutely fantastic. And I cannot wait to read, watch, hear your findings. (laughs) Any final comments, thoughts or call-outs you'd like to make?
0: Uh, yes, I want to say thank you to you, Anthea. You've been doing such wonderful work in this space for so many years and um, I love your podcast and it's a, great, oh. well, it's a great voice for for um, everybody that's in this space um, to, to let the, the rest of the world know what's going on, which is just wonderful. So thank you. Um, and I would like to let people know that um, on the 5th and 6th of November this year, we uh, Community Gardens Australia is holding a national gathering down at Ceres in Melbourne that we have just started planning. So um, if you're interested in that, jump onto our website and uh, keep having a look around and we'll, we'll put something out as soon as we know what exactly that's gonna be looking like. But it should be a wonderful two day event. Um, one day of some great talks and workshops, um, probably a bit of beekeeping and all sorts of stuff down there. And then a day of uh, visiting some wonderful local gardens um, close by to the venue and, and doing a long lunch uh, that'll be provided by a lovely local food enterprise down in in victoria so
1: yeah fantastic gav any final any final comments
2: well thanks anthea for you know, all the great work that you're doing but uh and also um if people are feeling envious about naomi and my travels i suggest that you apply for a churchill fellowship and and we and we do need more people in this space to get overseas and, and do a unique um, research uh, and I'm more than happy to um, help mentor people uh, in that application uh, process likewise. It, it's it's a mountain to climb but it's a it's a good mountain to climb and I even met great people through the application process. In fact I became the Queensland coordinator of Community Gardens Australia through the application process.
1: What about that? (laughs) That's fantastic. And uh, yeah, and congratulations. Thanks, Thanks very much and travel well. Thank you. I've been speaking with Naomi Lacey and Gavin Hardy from Community Gardens Australia, both amazing people and Churchill Fellowship recipients. And they're about to head overseas on their respective Really exciting study to us. Thanks so much for speaking with me and I look forward to hearing how it all goes. To learn more about um, great resources and get involved with Community Gardens Australia, head to www.communitygarden.org.au and for more information on the Churchill Fellowships, just Google it.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one final note too, Anthea, you'll be able to follow Govern's and my blogs of our travels um, via the Community Gardens Australia website. Yeah.
1: That's great. Okay, I'll I'll be looking out for that. Thanks, guys.
2: Thank you. Awesome.
1: Thanks for listening. To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch via Instagram at nourishing underscore matters and on Facebook at nourishing matters to chew on. If you like what you hear and would like to support us, give us a rating and a review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us too.